to the celebrity. Oh, give it to the celeb. Let yes. him have it. Let yes. him have it. Give it on. <laughs> well, if you talk about superstars all around the world, we're lucky enough to speak to a lot of people that fish different areas yeah. of the world. Not just here, but uh, overseas. But right now, we are going to chat to, well, a celebrity, there's no doubt. Yeah. He, this industry is fascinating talk about tv shows you talk about you know some of the big tv shows like deadliest catch yeah this is right up there and he's joining us right now he is from aussie lobster man bryce way thank you very much for your time how are you Good, good. Thank you for having me. Excited to have a chat with you guys. Oh, look, you know, and before Herb hooks in, but uh, yeah, well, you know, you are. You're on the on the show, Aussie Lobster Man. What was it? What was it like? Yeah, I mean, what? How do you get into something like that? Have you always been into you know the lobster industry? When it comes to getting in like, onto the show, for me, it was a just by chance. Um, a, a guy was down at the wharf and he introduced himself, and away we went. Conversation started. Told him, told me he's from the TV show and. If I wanted to be on it, let's go to see. And that was that's what happened. So what was different for me, though, was I was new to the game, but next minute I've got nine cameras in my face and your nerves, you start getting a bit shaky and you forget how to do your job. And you know, <laughs> that, was the, that was the learning curve for me. So, But other than that, I'm a third-generation fisherman. My grandfather was a fisherman. My father is a fisherman still. And uh, I've recently taken over my father's boat. And... Um, yeah, that's that's sort of it. I I've only entered the industry for the last four or five years. I chose to do a whole bunch of other things growing up, and and you know, as you lead that own path, lead your own path, sort of thing. Yeah. I, I chose to do other things, and fishing wasn't on my radar. It was just something that I was never a fan of. My father loved it. I didn't like it. I wasn't going to do it. Wanted to do my own thing, and that's what I did. And then after a few years in working in a hospital you sort of realise that there's, there's better things out there. And that's what I, that's what I found, and uh, I'm glad I'm not looking back. Yeah. And you mentioned nine cameras in your face out at sea. Now, where you're fishing for lobster, is it's no walk in the park. This is probably some of the roughest seas, if not in the world. You know, yeah, bottom yeah. end, top end of Tasmania, Bass Strait. Like, these are really rough seas. Is it? Do they get in your way? I, I don't mean to, to sound it nasty in that, but usually you're fishing with you, your crew, and now you've got cameras in your face, you've got people on board. Does it hamper your fishing? Does it, does it get in your way? Is there some scary moments where you go, whoa, you can't do that, mate, you know what I mean? Is, is it a problem or does it just sort of flow naturally? Well, fortunately, the cameramen they supply us are some like seriously hardcore Aussies. Like some of the guys that we were filming with, the cameramen, they do it. They do the whole lot. They're filming it. They're uploading it all, setting the cameras up, sorting all the mics out. They're up in the moment where you get up even earlier. They're up late at night, finishing like their their computer work and things like that. And a lot of these guys have worked all around the world on some pretty crazy shows. And luckily, luckily. They all had their sea legs. Uh, there was a few wow. days of sea sickness here and there, but having the nine cameras, you got every angle of your boat's got to be captured because if something happens, they want to they want to see it. Yeah. And basically, everywhere you turn, if something happens and it's not, you try and act out like it's oh it's not a big deal, you might pull a facial expression and then realise there's a camera looking around the corner straight at you. So you don't tend to get away with much, but <laughs> it doesn't so much hamper your ability to fish, but it it's just a bit of a distraction. Um, it's yep. sort of, you can imagine something that happens in your job and you've got to think about it for a second. Yeah. The difference is you now need to explain what you're thinking as you're thinking it. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. And you've got to make yeah. sense of it. Yeah. So that's, that can be a bit of a like, you know, you might then crack it. But what sort of good is, I guess, your attitude changes because there's a cameraman there going, what's happening? What's going on? Tell me, tell me, tell me. And then you crack it with him. Because you've cracked it with him, he's still rolling, and it's going to look good. So, oh, okay. it's, it's just one of those things. And most of the time, the things that happen that you know you get you're getting crabby about is it can be a life or death situation. You know, if you were to break down next to the rocks, you're trying to figure it out, and you've got a cameraman there going, "What's going on?" He might not understand the ramifications of exactly what's happening. Yeah, you know, you've got yep. five minutes before you you bash a million dollar boat against the cliffs, or you've got a rope around your prop, and you're trying not to worsen it. You're trying not to you know, choke up your shaft and, and, and seize your motor. So there's all sorts of things that you've got running through your head, but their their job is completely different. But yeah. giving them an understanding is also up to the skipper. When they get on the boat, you want to let them know, hey, guys, here's some precautions. Here's some things you need to know. In these situations, this is what we tend to do, follow through sort of thing. Yeah. What about, you know, you are, where, whereabouts do you go out fishing? Where Where is it? Is it exactly filmed? And what are some of the roughest seas you've hit? Mm. So we film it on the south coast of Tassie mainly. The new season that will be coming out, I think, end of this year or start of next year, season four of Aussie Lobster Men, will be on Channel 9. And we filmed that season uh, just on the south coast and up the southwest, as we call it, up near Port Davie. Yep. Um, we didn't really have much rough weather this trip, but there's still some nice bit of footage. There's still... Some, a little bit rough, but we we got pretty lucky, and and it was probably one of those things where we we were wishing that it was going to be really rough and looks really good. You get your deadliest catch, sort of punching waves and and that sort of thing. You look um, forward to that. I I I do look forward to it. <laughs> My deckhand looks forward to it. <laughs> I wouldn't. It, it's there's something special about going up and down your six, seven, eight meter waves. You know, in your 20, 30 knots is sort of pretty reasonable. You've just got to really keep an eye out. But once you start getting up 30, 40, 50 knots, even your 60, 70 knots, you you wow. tend to shelter. A lot of people would just anchor, but uh, with wow. who my father is in the industry, as well as things that he's done and the capabilities of his boat, often it's um, the phone call to him, oh, your weather's pretty bad. And he'll be like, you'll be right. You can fish here, you can fish here. Off you go, over here. So... You learn pretty quick. Oh, man, and fishermen, that you are the hardest bunch of blokes. I mean, you have to have a big set to go out in wind and waves like that and fish because it is a very, very dangerous job what you are doing. It is, it is. And and for me, I, I was only asked recently what people think the most dangerous part of the what I think the most dangerous part of the job is. And I'd have to say that, especially with these days with the technology we have and everything, it's probably your skipper's ability is, is my personal opinion of it. You okay. know, it's dangerous punching in the waves, but you're only in the waves and in that condition because your skipper chose to be. Yeah. So I think these days we've surpassed that point of no matter what, you have to be out there. You have to be out there catching fish. You have to supply for your family. I think we're at the point now where we can take it that look, take that one step back, not risk your life and your deckhand's life and that sort of thing because yeah. it's more important to come home. Yeah. And that was definitely something I learned seeing what I did at the hospital, you know, you just on your way to work next minute, something horrible happens. So it's just, to me, that's the, the main thing. And if you, if you jump on a boat, that's not well maintained, you're probably going to get around the corner and break down. You're going to have issues mm. or you get on this boat. It's not well maintained. You've got a job on the boat. Next minute you're back at the port getting fixed. You miss out on income. 
same yeah. thing happens the next trip, miss out on income. You may as well just go get another job. Yeah. So for me, it's it's maintenance. It's it's that consistent looking after your boat as well as your deckhand. Um, you know, is it, my deckhand's been with me for what probably four years now. He's only twenty one, but I tell you what, I don't know many twenty one year old olds that'll be standing on the bow of a boat punching five six meters sort of thing. So wow, what kind of he's that's, probably that's amazing. Yeah, oh, crazy, crazy. Yeah, well he's he's yeah, and there's videos I've got on my social medias where. We punch into a big wave, the whole bow lifts up, scoops water, and then he's just standing there like nothing's happening and he sticks his thumbs up and, and laughs and smiles and he just <laughs> loves it. So he lives he lives for it. He does. What what um you know, how much are you catching out there? You know, like how, how difficult is it and which way do you you know, how how do you catch them? What kind of pots? Yeah, and... for sure. For sure. So our catch rate's really dependent on time of year. So our summertime is super productive. Our biomass is moving flat out. So our biomass being the southern rock lobster is just, just it's everywhere. It, you put a pot in the water, you're going to get some lobsters in it sort of thing. But when it comes to winter, it goes the other way around. Everything slows down. They go into sort of that hibernation breeding zone sort of thing. The males are busy, the, uh, the, you know, jumping from rock to rock. The females are holding their eggs. And we can't catch females at that time of the year or any time of the year when they have eggs. We yeah. can only catch the males. That's it. So... We're basically going out there. You can go from last week, we were catching 150, 200, 300 a shot with 50 pots. Next minute, you're catching 15, 20 in the same spot. So they they will, at the click, like we always, us fishermen will say, at the click of your fingers, they die off. It just disappears. Wow. As if there was never a lobster there. So we, we can shoot an area where we had a pot with 19, 20. You go back a week later, you won't even see one. And that's 1920 sized lobsters. Wow. Not not including 50, 60 undersized. Wow. That would so, be pretty cool to pull a pot up with 1920 lobsters in it. I mean, it, that, it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I reckon it would be. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. It, it's pretty good. You sort of looking at that, yeah, and this is all right. But the, the disheartening parts, the, the 10, 15 blank ones you pulled before that. So it sort of, you know, it still happens even on the commercial end, 30, 40 years experience. Bank pots are a thing. It's just, it is what it is. It's the lobsters obvious. and our pots in Tassie, uh, they're not traps. So the lobsters can climb in and they can climb out. There's nothing stopping them. Okay. All we can do is try and keep them in there by putting nice, fresh, juicy bait. Yes. So that's all we can do. But if the pots are in for eight hours, four hours, whatever it is, they're climbing in, they're climbing out. We put GoPros on pots, they're in, they're out. You can sometimes have 15 go in. Four then go out. Yeah. That's just how it is. How many of you run the boat? Is it just you and your decky? Yeah, so it's just uh, my deckhand and I. So I, my previous boat, the Amber Dacra, a bit of a mouthful. It was just my decky and I. I did run it for a little bit by myself. And then I found my, my young decky, Lockie. And then after a little bit of running that with my father's health was deteriorating a bit and he had to focus on himself. He yep. moved to the mainland as well. We just decided that let's sell my boat, move me onto his. And we'll just see if that works. If it doesn't work, I'll go back to my normal job and we'll just, I'll call it quits for a bit just because of the pandemic and the trade war and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It has just been a bit uncomfortable in the old bank account. So it was just to figure out what to do. And um, yeah, so it's just my decky and I. And it's a lot easier on the bigger boat because it's, you don't have to worry about the weather too much. It's, it's not like you're sitting at the wharf on your little boat going, oh, 
three metre waves. I can't go out there today. Same thing next week. And it's like, oh, I can't do anything. Can't earn money. Where the big boat, it's like, oh, well, we'll just punch into it and she'll be right. So wow. it sort of changes your, your perspective once you get on that big, bigger boat. Yeah. What about where does your lobsters all go? Do you, is it majority Australia or is offshore like a lot of, um, you know, the other places around Australia? So I only just got back from Adelaide a few days ago. Now, we have what we call a rock lobster conference. It's called the Trans-Tasman Rock Lobster Conference. And basically every two years, other than the last four years, as most things, the last two years, uh, every two years, we will all catch up, all the states, and we, we talk lobster. We talk stocks. We talk things that we're all doing differently. We talk um, sale numbers, domestic and overseas numbers, all this sort of stuff. Now, Tassies, we, we catch a decent amount uh, commercially. I, I always forget the number. It's a, like 100 tonnes or 2,000 tonnes or 1,000 tonnes or whatever it is. I can't remember. What yeah. it is. But we, I believe, sell domestically around Australia around the 65% of our catch, okay. which is pretty good. Absolutely. Um, what would make it more would be the prices at the top end in the markets coming down a bit you would see more people buy it yeah yeah, Um, yeah. it's very it's always been seen as a premium product it's always been seen as a bit of a special table um setting product so it's not something that people go out and buy frequently but um me personally the plan is over the next year is to make that product more affordable for people and bring it to more people's tables so i believe that there's opportunities at the moment with the way the market has been and not having the security of like we used to with our incomes and things. I think there's opportunities now that we could jump on and make this product more affordable for Australians, but that's the plan. Yeah. But as for internationally, where the what lobsters are going all over the place, New York, you're talking, there's some going into the UK. I believe India, there's, there's all throughout Asia. Fascinating. Everywhere. It is. I mean, yeah, your catch is going worldwide, but it's great to see so much of it stay in Australia. I mean, is the job, I know this is, a. excuse me for asking, but you go out, you catch your feed, you get your pay. Obviously, the boat will take probably 50%, you know, with fuel, running costs, and then you guys get whatever else after that. Is it worth it? Like being a farmer, you're a farmer of the I can, sea. I can give you some, some proper numbers, and I think you're, your percentage you just used, you're about to be a bit blown out. Yeah, I want to hear that. This is only right. if it's all right for you to tell us. No, I'm no. It's important we talk numbers, otherwise people people think that we are too far in between. So yeah, let's just say in one week I'm going to go out and I'm going to go catch. Uh, we'll go two ton of lobsters in one week. Now I'm going to get fifty dollars a kilo. Yep. So one ton being fifty dollars a kilo, you're going to get fifty grand. Two ton, you're going to get a hundred grand. Yep. Fantastic. This is true. These are true numbers from only a few months back. Yep. I've gone and caught my two ton in a bit over a week, I think it was, or something. I paid my crew. I paid me. I paid my quota. So our, our industry is quoted. So we have to pay yep. for our quota. That's correct. Yep. And then I paid the bait and fuel. Yep. And that came to 92%. Wow. Okay. Out of 100 grand. Now, wow. I've still got to pay insurance, maintenance, and any other repairs that need doing, as well as you want to be putting a kitty aside to make sure you've got the money for the future. Wow. Is that even possible with those numbers? No, it's not. The only thing that makes this possible for me is my father is the quota holder. So if it wasn't for him, 
I wouldn't bother in this industry at the moment. And what we're seeing Tasmania-wide and a lot around Australia, fishermen cannot physically afford to do what they are doing. Now, if they don't change how they're doing it or if they don't talk about it, things won't be changed. And that's where a lot of fishermen are so used to having, not so much them because they were selling to a processor, but all their eggs were in one basket. We relied so heavily on that top money coming in from, from overseas and the moment that crash, everything went with it. Now, we've got so many people involved in our industry. You've got your quote holder, your fisherman, your processor, the next person that buys off the processor, and then it will finally get into the, the, your shop front. And then if it makes it to the shop front, sometimes a restaurant buys that. So you've got nearly six people before wow. it hits, hits your, uh, your table. And the Every person thing- wants a chunk. Yeah, and the mm. hardest thing is too, and they they want a premium tri- chunk chunk, and they're only just passing it through their through yeah. their fingers, really. But you know, we're we've chatted to a lot of fishermen on this on the podcast, and the thing is, it seems to be at your level something's wrong with the system. You guys look after it. You know the system. You don't go overboard. You make sure you treat everything fine. Yeah. Um. And we've spoken to people all around Australia. There seems to be an issue between. You guys and the dinner plate. That's correct. And and that's why this this meeting, this uh, meeting I was at in, in South Australia was so important to me to go to, being one of the youngest fishermen in the fleet. I've gone there. There's 200-odd people, but I'm well and truly the youngest. Uh, another local fisherman, uh, Fisher, came with me, and he's my age as well. And he was there for different reasons. He's a, he's a fisherman through and through. I'm obviously looking at branching out and doing other things and looking a bit more differently at what was being said. It's going to be in the next couple of years that if we don't bring these lobsters to the the, the dinner table of the your locals, it's going to end up the same thing. We're going to end up with a product that people can't afford. It goes probably to a different country this time. So we're going to end up with the same problem. And then how can we rely on our dom- um, domestic support if we're going to go and stab them in the back again? And that's where I'm at with it. Now, that's a lot different to a lot of fishermen. A lot of fishermen reckon I'm in the wrong and I shouldn't be saying this, but I think that I'd rather a secured income, at least at a minimum level, and know that we can branch out and move 30 40% internationally, do whatever. But the rest of it, we need to be looking at local markets and bringing it to the table. We've got the quantity and we've got the quality, but we yeah. now just need the ideas behind it. Yeah, I, um, I agree. You know, the, the international should be just the cream on the crop. It seems to me that the the bloke that risks it for the biscuit doesn't seem to get all the biscuit. Like you know, the, the bloke that risks the lot the most doesn't get the most out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure, definitely. And and that's what makes it really hard. Is is see, I'd be content as nearly any other fisherman would. If you could give me fifty to seventy dollars a kilo, depending on the colour and the size of my lobsters, that's fine. These, these lobsters they are worth around a hundred dollars a kilo mark. You know, if you were to buy it either straight from a boat or the processor. Mm-hmm. Now, as it goes up, only the other day in Adelaide, it was like two hundred and forty dollars a kilo in a restaurant. Jeez. Now, what they add to it and stuff obviously changes your prices and, and stuff like that. And if you're going to go to a five star restaurant, you, you're not going there with nothing in your back pocket. So, it's just sort of one of those things that it's an expectation. It's a premium product, but I don't have a problem with getting a bit lower prices. My boat can afford it. We can do all that sort of thing. But you've got the quota holder. Now, would you invest millions of dollars into an industry and lose more than half your your, your possible turnover? No, you're not. You'd probably want to withdraw your uh, your 
your bloody investments. But it's just a fine line. You've got so many people needing to work together. But even if you were to bring a couple together, it only takes one person to walk away and it ruins the whole operation. So you know, if I was to turn around tomorrow and find a new market and feed all these locals and everything, and I had two quota holders and one walks away, well, now yeah. I've got to find someone else to fill that gap. So oh, wow. it's a bit of a... Bit of a hard yeah, one, and it we, is. Do, we often get a divide between the fisherman and the quota holder. It's, it's a very careful line, of, you know, the walking on thin ice sort of situation. You don't want to go talk bad about them because they're dangling the carrot. Mm. So it's it's really hard yeah. for fishermen to speak, and it's really hard for fishermen to stand up at a meeting. We have port meetings around Tasmania for fishermen to come and talk to our government and things like that. They won't stand up and talk because they're scared about that person sitting down with a pen and notepad in the corner. So we have, just like real estate, we have brokers. We have people that control large amounts of your quota. And, you know, you hear the stories of these people being, you know, put in the black book or the red book, whatever they called it, and, and they won't get quota from us ever again because they stood up and said something about a quota holder. So you've got fishermen scared. Yeah. Now, these fishermen have been in the industry for 35, 40 years, but they still won't talk. It's so fascinating. Being fresh, I don't like that. Yeah. And I'm willing to go out and, and voice that because I think it's important. No different to our dairy farmers and our, our cattle farmers. There's things being held over them, you know, in their case, but most of the time it's the supermarkets and things like that. And it's voiced. And when it's voiced, something gets done about it. So that's yeah. sort of where, where I'm at with it. But at the same time, I can't voice too much because I might piss other people off. Yeah, no. So it's, oh. it's such a fine line. Can we ask what is your what's your best catch? Not a, even outside of crayfish or lobster. What is your you know? Have you had a cracking catch that you think you know what? That's my best catch I've, I've ever had. Yeah, I've had a couple of close to hundred kilo tuna, a couple of hundred and fifty odd kilo makos on the rods. Oh, um, they were good. But uh, when I first started commercially fishing, I was I had a six point eight meter uh, tinny with twin one fifty mercuries on it. So I was commercially fishing out of that at the time. And I used to run 19 pots out of it and pull them by hand before I had a potholer. So that was the old man's way of going, <laughs> you need to know what it felt like back in the day. So, <laughs> and after that happened, uh, I did that for about 18, 20 days straight. We turned around and put a potholer on it. So that was good. But lobster-wise, biggest catch was around the 550, 600 lobsters in one shot. So that was in 45 pots. That was on my small boat, and that was wow. that was in forty-five pots, and I'd actually broken down, and the it, I, the boat wouldn't go, so I had to organise a tow. And the boat that came, we had to when we break down, and someone else has to pull our pots. The police get involved, and it's a it, it's a big deal because it's you don't want illegal fishing, you don't want people keeping things they're not meant to, or all this stuff. So the police all got involved, like you're meant to. The department got involved. We pulled a bunch of pots and the last few pots of mine and we ended up throwing something like 150 size fish back as well. So that would put us around the 650, 700 for one shot. Jesus. Wow. So, and, and, you know, if you're talking $50 a kilo, that's, you're talking 600 kilo there. So um, it, it, it can be good fishing, but at the same time, the bill that came at the end of that was 
substantially more than what I caught. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it was no, a bit of a, oh, amazing. I haven't even covered this bill yet. <laughs> wow. um, oh. But that was one That was one day. That was one day, one shot. We have two shots a day. So we actually did three days straight and we, we filled the boat up nearly every day, three days in a row. Wow. And it holds about half, just over half a ton. So it was a very busy three days. Oh, I was knackered. You're talking 18 to 20 hours a day. Wow. We were working because we had to steam all the way back in sure, unload at the wharf and steam all the way back out, start pulling the gear again. So there was no time for wow. rest. But however, that was sort of a bit of an eye opener going, I wish my boat was bigger because I could hold more lobsters. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. But then you got, get your bills and things like that. So Now, one thing um, before we let you go. Definitely. I yep. want to know. You, you obviously eat these things too. You've eaten a few. You have to have. No. You don't eat lobster. I don't eat lobster. And oh. they served me lobster at this meeting. <laughs> And I don't eat it. Oh, and really? They served it at the meeting. They served it. They served it at the fun- the conference, and I didn't. I looked at it and was like, "Oh, you got steak." <laughs> so, um, I now, I, yeah, I don't not eat it for any bad reason. It was just I was bought half on it, and yeah, it's yeah. just I look at it, and I remember all those nights where I slept next to my food for for many reasons, and it was I can't look at it the same. I know it's beautiful. I, I can. I worked in kitchens for many years, and a lot of the time I didn't taste or eat the food that I was making. But I could. Just, you could smell it. You could just. You knew what was good or not. Yeah. And often, you just know you cook a lobster properly. You do a few little things to it. It is. It's beautiful. Like it's. Yeah. But I don't. I don't. My deckhand eats it. He eats it for me. So that's. Uh, <laughs> that's it. We don't eat it at sea because we're not allowed. But when we come home, and if he takes one home, he he cooks it up and sends me photos of his. Look, rock lobster salad and things like that. Oh. So. Well, I was going to ask you, Bryce, the best way to cook it, but what's the best way your decky cooks it? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's so hard. We get asked that all the time when we sell these lobsters live off the wharf. Yep. And it's really just, look, 90% of people just boil it. Yeah. But yeah. in my head, a barbie's better um, for flavour. Like, you're just getting that extra flavour. You could You could stick it in the oven and put some nice cheeses on it and, and, and sort of do that. There's, there's, you can do curries with it, stews with it. Like there's so many options. However, I just find that people do the simplest thing, which in my head is a bit weird because you're paying a premium dollar for this and you're boiling it. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'd barbecue. It's like it. a potato really. Like you can do a lot of fancy things with potatoes, but just putting it in the, a bit, yeah, sort yeah. of thing. What about nothing uh, wrong with it? Tastes beautiful, but have you ever, you know, when you've gone out there, you, you said, you know, your grandfather, your old man, and then yourself. You know, you grew up fishing. You went away for it. Has there ever been a uh, situation where it's gone a little bit pear shaped for you? You kind of backed yourselves a little bit too much. Yeah, I've had a few. If it was ten to fifteen minutes difference in time, I probably wouldn't be having a conversation with you. There was, there's, there's, my last boat, it was a, it was a, not our problem maintenance wise, but it was previous people that had it, a maintenance slight problem with, it had sunk, had been rebuilt and just, just things need tweaking. And we went straight into it and fished it pretty hard. Now, I just had problem after problem after problem with it. And one day we're at the bottom of Bruni Island here in Southern Tassie and we're fishing an area called the Fries, which is where I often fish. Now, the cliff faces there are pretty unforgiving. If you would end up in the water there, both the tide and the, the area you're in, you're, you're probably not making it. Even if so, even if my decky could drive the boat fast, I'm probably gone sort of thing. Like, mm. it, it's not somewhere you want to get in the water. 
Now, we pulled the last pot. We're having issues trying to find it. It was hard against the rocks and the waves are getting big. It was about three metres, a bit over three metres. And there was not not much wind, but it wasn't very ideal conditions for the little boat we're in. Anyway, we found the last pot. We've pulled it. We steamed through the fries. So normally I would have gone around it where I was, but I went, oh, we'll go through it for some scenic. We've gone through it, through this gap, and we've come out the other side. We've gone no more than five minutes. Next minute, whole boat's just shut down. Lost all power. Nothing. Oh. And I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Quickly tried turning it over. Wouldn't even turn it over. Everything just, just fell to bits. We had no power. Everything just, just, I can't even remember what happened because it was too many things broke down in that those couple of trips. But if that had happened, that five minutes before, we, yeah, that boat would have been gone in a heartbeat. Wow. So, and with the weather that was coming at the same time, we, you know, three hours, it was lucky another boat came and pulled us further up and, and brought us into port. But we would have been in a very uncomfortable position. But fortunately, we still had radios and all that sort of stuff. But if we were right up against the rocks where we were, no, that, that probably would have been it. So wow. uh, we've had a few other little little things here and there, even on the bigger boat. If, if you take a wave wrong, you, you can flip these things. These things will turn over. Wow. But it's just taking your time, reading the waves. It's a lot like if you're a surfer. You're looking at the points further ahead. You're yeah. seeing when the next next set's coming. It's the, if it works like that inshore, it works like that offshore. So when you're out 15, 20 mile offshore, it, it's the same thing. If you get a big wave all of a sudden come, there's another one coming and another one, and then there'll be a bit of a break. So it's about reading, reading that, understanding where you're fishing and that sort of thing. But there's definitely some hairy, hairy things out there. And I've got no stories compared to some of these old timers. I, I still think to this day, Tasmanian fishermen need to band together, write a book. Because you steam around the coast with an older gentleman who's fished it his whole life. He'll tell you who's died where, who's been injured where, what boats have sunk where. Wow. Just wow. In, in the space of an hour or two. So... Well, I, I can, think it's, yeah. I can tell you something, Bryce. Thanks very much for joining us. I found oh. it fascinating. It's, uh, you know, it's fascinating when Herb shuts up and hardly says I, anything. It's brilliant. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's absolutely chuffed. But we do. We got, you gave us a really great insight. And we know that, uh, you know, season four of the, uh, the Lobster Fisherman is uh, going to be, the Aussie Lobster Fisherman is going to be out later on in the year. But, you know, to take no, your definitely. time out and, you know, share those. You know, just a really good insight into exactly how the industry runs. Yep. We really do appreciate it. But uh, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. No, that's a good. And if people want to see more of it, you know, if the TV show is not enough, I've just started a YouTube channel. Now, if doing that job in itself wasn't hard enough, <laughs> filming yourself, editing your videos and doing all that, that adds a whole nother buddy <laughs> level to it. So I've yeah. started my YouTube, Aussie Lobster Hunters. That's who I go by, as well as uh, my TikTok and other social medias. You know, we, we can get a few million videos, in, a few million views in a video sort of thing. People love lobster fishing. They love the rough weather. They love the pots coming up full and they love my deckhand dancing. So it's a good mixture. And, and yeah, Aussie Lobster Hunters is where we can be located. And we've got some pretty big things coming as well. We've got shirts, hoodies and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, but if you guys come down to Tassie, you're more than welcome to come do a trip as well. Oh, absolutely. So we're more than welcome. we got all the beds. Yeah, so, I can't wait. I'll bring a cart and a great northern down. We'll sit up at night and get all excited and head out the next day. But I've got to say, Bryce, <laughs> it's been fantastic hearing it from a captain's point of view um, and just absolutely understanding what you go through. It's a great listen, mate. Thank you for talking to us. No, no worries. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. 
What is it? It's another great episode, Herbert. And next week we're going to, uh, well, we're going back over to the US. Yes. And also a little bit about servicing your own boat. Yeah, we've got a bit over there. We've got the champion surf caster. I'm pretty sure he's down in Florida there, uh, fishing from the beach. Big tarpon, uh, all sorts of big fish down there. It is an amazing fishery. And, uh, yeah, of course, the probably the most exciting – well, it's exciting to me because I love servicing me, but I love making sure everything's clean and tidy for the next trip out. Well, it makes it easier. It's common sense, really, but only for those – few like us yeah that's right there's some people that go all their life with their outboard <laughs> without touching it uh i'm not that way uh and yeah like i just had my boat serviced i couldn't believe it 275 hours in a year i did and 198 of them hours were just trawling for flathead there you go unreal how do you, how do you know that well it, it reads off a spec off your motor so they put a computer into it and it tells you what revs you were doing for what period of time so 198 hours i was under a thousand revs which i know is trawling for flathead or prawning or but mostly trawling for flathead and then it's got each one from 1,000 to 2,000 revs how many hours I spent in that category 2,000 to 3,000 how many hours in that category there you go so it's a very good thing as we had Matt from Launch Marine do a a talk on service and engines it's uh, it's very knowledgeable and it gives you a good insight of what your outboard's doing and and what you can expect from the year uh, ahead well there you go that's next week over